Well, good morning, everyone. Well, our passage today, as we've said, is all about attitudes to forgiveness. And, of course, forgiveness is not always easy, is it? C.S. Lewis once said, everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. I recently heard a moving story which illustrates this point. The story took place in a courtroom trial in South Africa. And a frail black woman rose slowly to her feet. She was over 70 years of age. And facing across the room were several white security police officers, one of whom, Van der Broek, had just been found implicated in the brutal murders of both the woman's son and her husband some years before. And as her husband, in the past, was about to die, apparently the last words heard from his lips as the officers moved in to kill him were, Father, forgive them. And the woman stood in the courtroom. She listened to the confession made by Van der Broek. A member of the South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission turned to her and he said, so what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? And the old woman calmly said, I want three things. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. My husband and my son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, for Mr. Van der Broek to become my son. I would like him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining in me. And finally, she said, I want one third thing. This is also the wish of my husband. I would like to ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbrook in my arms and embrace him and let him know that he is truly forgiven. Well, apparently at this point, Vanderbrook was so overwhelmed by what he'd heard, he dropped to the floor and fainted. And those in the courtroom, the family, friends, and neighbors, who all had experienced great oppression themselves, they began to sing softly, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A true story, and I'm sure we'd all agree, an amazing attitude towards forgiveness. Well, our passage today is all about attitudes towards sin and forgiveness. And there are three characters in our passage today, and they all have a great deal to teach us about how we should view these issues. So let's have a look at the characters one by one and see what we can learn from them. And the first character in our passage is the woman who anoints the feet of Jesus in verses 36 to 38. And she displays a remarkable attitude of love, affection, contrition, and sacrificial giving. Now, we don't know very much about this woman. We don't know her name or exactly what her backstory might be. What we do know, verse 37, she lived a sinful life. The most likely explanation is that she's a prostitute and has a reputation for living an immoral life. She's the last person who would ever consider entering the house of a Pharisee, and yet remarkably, she does. 
It must have taken a huge amount of courage for her to enter the house and become the centre of attention in front of all those guests. Let's look more closely at what she does. The guests would have been reclining at a low table. It was customary for them to take off their sandals and lean back with their feet outstretched. That seems a rather strange way of doing things from our perspective today, but this would be normal practice in the days in which they lived. And the woman draws near to Jesus, verse 38. She begins to wet his feet with her tears. And she then takes this alabaster jar of perfume. She anoints his feet with it. And historians tell us that this perfume is probably very costly and was most likely an oil that was used for special festive occasions. Now, this is a very remarkable act. So what does it teach us about this woman and her attitude towards sin and forgiveness? Well, firstly, she responds to Jesus with great affection. It's almost as though she plans to use the oil And then she's so overcome with emotion, she starts by washing Jesus' feet with her tears. And she uses her hair to do this. A very significant act, because Jewish women didn't tend to unbraid their hair in public. And we can see that she responds with great emotion to Jesus. And this is interesting, because it makes us ponder, I think, on how do we respond to Jesus? See, we may come to church and go through the liturgy. We may listen politely to the sermon. We may go to the house group and discuss the finer points of the latest passage. And of course, none of that is wrong. But I wonder how often we get stirred emotionally in our relationship with Jesus. How often we feel moved by what he has done for us. Are we moved by the amazing forgiveness that he has brought into our lives and the privilege of knowing him on a day-to-day basis. It's very easy, isn't it, for our relationship with Jesus to become a rather cerebral affair without any real emotion involved. And you see, in contrast, this woman in our passage understands her need for forgiveness. She's aware of this sinful life she has lived. She comes to Jesus with great contrition and also great affection. She's moved to tears as she meets with Jesus. Sometimes we all need a bit of emotion, don't we? I wonder if when you're thinking about your partner, your husband and wife, or if you were talking about them to someone else, would you say, I like my wife? Doesn't sound quite right, does it? No, we'd say, I love my wife. See, we know in relationships we need heart as well as head. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. We need both our hearts and our minds engaged when we come to meet with him. Now let's look at another attitude that this woman has in relation to sin and forgiveness. She comes with a giving heart. She pours this expensive perfume over the feet of Jesus. And you see, when we realize our sin and we realize that we're forgiven, it's not only our hearts which respond, our actions will follow. This woman gives her very best to Jesus. She takes something that's expensive and she gives it all out of love and affection for him. And I'm sure it came at real sacrifice. I doubt she has much money, but she gives the very best that she has to offer. And that's a great spirit, isn't it, in which to come to Jesus. It's a reminder to give the very best we have to offer to him and his service. 
not just the dregs of our lives every now and then. If our love is truly real, we'll want to give our very best to him. Our service should spring from gratitude and love, just like the woman in our passage. I wonder how you feel about your service for the Lord. You sometimes do it out of duty. You sometimes do it because it's expected. You sometimes even resent the time and the effort involved. Let's be honest, sometimes perhaps we all may feel like that. But when we're in danger of feeling like that, maybe we need to remember again the amazing things that God has done for us, the incredible forgiveness that we have been given. And as we do, we'll rediscover that sense of love and gratitude, and that will help us to give our very best to the Lord. So the woman in the passage shows us the way. She may have a sinful background, but she comes to Jesus with love, affection, gratitude, and a desire to give her very best to him. Now, the second character in our passage is a Pharisee who has invited Jesus to dinner, verse 39. And he displays, in great contrast, an attitude of false respectability and disdain and a critical spirit. Now, we don't know very much about Simon. We know he's a Pharisee. He's a member of a powerful Jewish religious dynasty. Pharisees are powerful, respectable, renowned for following all the religious rules of the day. He also appears to be quite wealthy. He's quite able to invite Jesus and others to a big dinner. But his motives are rather unclear. His attitudes to Jesus and towards sin, as we see, stand in huge contrast to the woman we've already looked at. Let's have a look at Simon's approach. And it's clear almost immediately that he's critical of Jesus. Verse 39, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Notice he doesn't say it out loud. He's muttering away to himself, isn't he? And we can see clearly what's going on inside. He has a critical heart. He's dismissive of Jesus. He dismisses him as not being a prophet, and he criticizes him for a lack of awareness of who this woman really is. And we could also see here he has a complete disdain for this woman who has lived a sinful life. He shows an attitude which is holier than thou, He clearly believes she's the lowest of the low. And he's trying to place himself on a pedestal that's far above her. He enjoys looking down on her from his lofty perch. And of course, as he looks at her with complete disdain, he's oblivious to the reality of his own sin. What an irony. His sin is being displayed at this very moment in a critical spirit and a disdainful heart. And he can't even see it. It's interesting, isn't it? Some sin is obvious. It's obvious to all that the woman has lived a sinful life. It's obvious to her, and she feels very contrite about it. There are some forms of sin, they're not quite so obvious. They tend to be covered over by a veneer of respectability. And it's very easy, isn't it, for us to have a myopia or blindness when it comes to our own sin. Simon's heart is full of pride, disdain, a critical spirit. He can't even see it. He's very good at seeing the sin in other people. He's not so good at seeing it within himself. And of course, worryingly, 
there's a little bit of Simon's attitude in all of us. We can learn a lot from Simon, but not in a positive sense. It's very easy, isn't it, to slip into a disdain and critique of others. We may feel we're more mature as Christians than them. We're more sound in our theology. We're more knowledgeable about the Bible, more successful than them in our work, whatever it may be. We put people down in our minds, or maybe even in a more overt manner, which shows that we think we're better than them. And at root, of course, this comes from pride. And it's so, so easy, isn't it, to be oblivious to this attitude within us. You see, Simon is a sinful man. He needs forgiveness. But whereas the sinful woman is fully aware of her need, Simon can't even see his. It's a great reminder to us all, isn't it, to remain at the foot of the cross. Maybe we need from time to time to ask the Lord to help us to see our sin and come back to him for forgiveness. And I say this not to overwhelm us, but simply to keep at the foot of the cross. That's where that woman was, at the feet of Jesus. That's a great place to be. Well, the third and by far the most important character, of course, in our passage is Jesus himself. And we see this in verses 40 to 50. And Jesus displays an attitude of love and forgiveness and mercy. It's interesting to note that Jesus accepted Simon's offer to come to dinner. It reminds us that he reaches out to all sections of society with the good news of forgiveness. He reaches out to the poor and the downtrodden, to those with a shady past. But he also reaches out to the well-to-do and respectable members of so-called respectable members of society. Why? Because we all need to know about this great message of forgiveness that Jesus has come to bring. Well, here Jesus, as he so often does, provides a parable in verses 40 to 46 to explain to Simon what it means to have a right understanding of sin and forgiveness. There are two men, sorry, two men who are in debt. One owes 500 denarii, the other owes 50 denarii. And he mentions that the moneylender has cancelled their debts. Then Jesus asks Simon, well, who's going to love the moneylender more? And of course, the answer is obvious. As Simon says in verse 43, the man whose debt was bigger will have more reason to love him. And Jesus is then quite direct. He turns the spotlight on Simon. And in verses 44 to 46, he mentions that although Simon has invited Jesus to dinner, he's not gone out of his way to make him very welcome. Simon's not given him water for his feet or given him a customary kiss of greeting or poured oil on his head. Yes, Simon's done his duty by inviting Jesus to the meal. He hasn't shown him any great love. And the sinful woman, on the contrary, has done all these things for Jesus. As Jesus says in verse 47, she is the one who has loved much. Well, what can we learn from the attitude of Jesus towards sin and forgiveness here? Well, firstly, let's go back to basics. It's always good to go back to basics, actually, the heart of the gospel, isn't it? And remind ourselves that this is why Jesus came. He came to forgive sins. His death upon the cross, as we know, has made forgiveness possible, and this gift of forgiveness is offered out to us all. 
You know, for some of us who are more spiritually sensitive, like the woman in our passage, it's hard to believe we are forgiven. Sometimes we feel a burden of past failures. Sometimes we carry regrets. For some of us, we feel guilty that now, try as we might, we can't quite rid ourselves of sins that have plagued us for years. We feel ashamed by our own weakness and complacency. Sometimes we find it impossible to forgive ourselves. So what do we do when we feel like that? Well, let's remember the greatest debtors are the ones who feel the greatest gratitude when their debts are forgiven and removed. You see, the woman in our passage has failed greatly. She's full of regret and contrition, but she comes to the feet of Jesus and expresses her love because she knows she has so much to be grateful for. And just in case she still can't quite believe that that forgiveness is hers, Jesus reaffirms this great truth and reminds her, your sins are forgiven. And you know, that's what he says to us today. Forget about the past, put aside those regrets. It's not up to you to try and forgive yourself. Keep short accounts with Jesus. Come to his feet. Trust in the forgiveness that he offers out to you. And when we truly know that forgiveness that he offers, then we'll live our lives in gratitude and affection for him because we know that our debts have been paid both now and forever. For some of us, we may be more like Simon. Maybe we feel we're doing okay. Maybe we feel like we're doing better than others around us. Maybe we find it difficult to pinpoint any ways in which we've failed and fallen short of the standards God sets out for us. Maybe the confession each week that we say in church is a comfortable liturgy, but we never come to it with any real sense of contrition lovely this morning, wasn't it, to be sort of reminded of how important it is to have the right heart when we come to the confession. And how about communion? We may go through the ritual, because that's what we do every now and again in church, but maybe it rarely stirs us to any great sense of needing to come to the feet of Christ and find forgiveness. Once again, let's keep short accounts with God and check our hearts every now and then and make sure that they haven't turned to stone. Let's ask God, like the sinful woman, to keep us at his feet in humble submission and thankfulness for all he has done. But as we close, let's end on a very positive note. See, the offer of forgiveness is offered out to all of us here today. And those words from Jesus said originally to that sinful woman, they're also said to us. They ring out just as clear in our contemporary world as they did all those years ago. Here they are. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's hear those words again. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's listen to those words. Let's allow them to sink in. Let's take them into our hearts and allow them to encourage us as we move forward into this new week. Our slate is clean. Our past record of wrongdoing is gone. And so let's face the future in confidence 
resolve to live better lives for the future. And let's give our best out of gratitude and love.